We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. Translated by Katrina Dodson, we've got Daydream and Drunkenness of a Young Lady by Clarice Lispector tonight. I thought it was drunkenness and daydreaming. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> Does the order matter? I don't know if the order matters for this one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so either. <laughs> so man. what does Clarice write, Mr. Crypto? Does does she write the rich person? No, not traditionally. We read this author, John Cheever, and, and I just love the description of him because they called him the Chekhov of the suburbs. I, I love that description of him. And I wonder if if Clarice, she plays in that space a lot in terms of like the the middle the middle person who sometimes comes from from poor uh, rags backgrounds, not to riches but to average. And I think there's like this this stigma about the average person that we we hate to give them voices. You know, oh, you're not rich enough to get a voice. You're not poor enough. You should just be happy. You should be content. Right. Like, like, don't don't complain about being average. And Clarice, I think she lives in the space of being able to give that interiority, the struggles of that person a voice. I think that's pretty standard for most of life, right? That middle of the rung is kind of forgotten. You have your overachievers, your excellers at the top that are always going to be noticed. And you have everybody trying to uplift the people at the bottom, trying to get them, you know, to be as equal as possible, some equity to the people at the bottom. And that middle chunk is forgotten. And she does a great job of writing those individuals. Right, right. And so this, this woman, I mean, we have to assume a lot about her, right? But she has a stable house of some sort, a, a stable husband of some sort, family support as they're off at the aunties playing. They're able to go out drinking. She's able to procrastinate and not do her chores and, and work every minute of the day. Like she has some stability and some comfort. Like she seems like an average person to me. Like what is that kind of the feeling that you got her? Yeah, I guess I was thinking maybe she was upper middle class or okay. lower upper class somewhere around there. Obviously, she probably has some nice dresses, some shoes, jewelry, not working every single you know day means that they have some luxuries, but maybe they aren't, you know, uber rich. And the story is basically her like waking up and being like, "Ugh, husband, you you get the leftovers for dinner, right? Like I'm going to sleep in and oh, I'm behind on the potatoes and oh, I'm behind on the laundry. But I'll say this, um, it, it, it feels like you almost get shamed for feeling these things a lot of times, like like you create this procrastination, but you just get tired of adulting sometimes, right? Like it's relentless. <laughs> Like, I guess when I was a kid, I didn't understand why my parents would feel this way. But now being, you know, 40 plus years old, I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm just done. Like, I'm just so exhausted doing this day in, day out for the past 18 years that you just want to break sometimes. I agree. We 
take a lot of things for granted, obviously, as children. And our story is a little different, I think, because of our American ways of thinking, right? But I think that is maybe kind of just universal that when you're done working and then you have to go home and take care of children and do dishes, there's always dishes, I feel like, or laundry. It's it's a daunting task. And sometimes you just need a break from all of it for some me time. And that's something that helps a lot of people recharge. I don't fault this lady at all for wanting just to, you know, lay in bed, feel lazy and recharge her battery so she can go about, you know, being a mother. And, and, a, and a wife and a friend and whatever else that she has to put on those different masks that we've talked so many times about of when she goes out in public because when she's just laying around by herself, she just needs to be herself with herself. And that is very, very satisfying for some people. And she goes out, you know, they had, they obviously have the luxury of going out with her husband. And, and I don't know the intricacies of Brazilian business etiquette, particularly when it comes to these types of dinners. Like I can't speak to that. But, you know, she, she she goes along and she sees the paintings on the wall. She sees the people and, you know, it couldn't be possible to be more hammered, which I thought was interesting. And I don't know if that was meant to imply, like, is this a one-off thing? Is this something that she does on the regular? Like, like this is something that I, I wasn't really sure how to interpret. But th- they use the word sadness here. Because she starts to resent the other people and look down upon them. And it, it, it becomes more emotionally charged, I would say, where she starts to almost like get right. angry at the situation. I took it as that she's depressed. Uh, sadness, depression, I think it goes hand in hand. I think that alcohol is a way to numb pain. And with the, the, the drunken estate, I believe that this is something that's a common occurrence maybe for her. Uh, maybe not to say that she's an alcoholic, but I think that it is a standard in her life of how to numb some of the the pain or the monotony that she lives through. What do you think she's sick of? What do you think she's tired of? The routine. I mean, you get in those ruts, right? You were talking about that. I, I go to work at this time. I do this job. It's the same thing every day. I eat my lunch. It's the same lunch every day. I get home at the same time. It's it's just it's over and over and over. It, it, it's grating on your soul. I mean, like, that's why we have vacations and having a drink every now and then gives you a little mini vacation. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, I'm also I'm also one of those people that kind of revels in some of the monotony, some of like the predictability. I like predictability. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm a human being. I like routine. I'm sorry. I, I'm just that type of person. And with her, she it's like you said, she's trying to escape that. And I noticed that, you know, one of the people that she gets fixated on is the young woman at the restaurant. And I noticed that they specifically call her young woman, right? Is she mad at this woman? You know, when we think about being mad at, at younger people, are we mad at their youth, at their vitality? Or are we angry at their freedom and their lack of understanding of the gift of freedom that they currently have that time tends to strip away from you. (laughs) I don't know if mad is the right word. I think that jealous is a good word. Envious of the choices that they still get to make. uh, Jealous of their vitality, sure. And maybe mad would be inward directed. So jealous of them, but mad at yourself because you didn't maybe make different choices. You're mad that you don't get to have those opportunities anymore. So jealous of them, mad at yourself. What do you, how do you interpret this quote? And like that, drunker still, she cast her eyes around the restaurant 
And oh, the scorn for the dull people in the restaurant. Not a single man who was a real man who was truly sad. I think she's projecting. I think that it's a reflection of herself that all of these people are are faking it. Right? And I think that that alcohol has given her a little bit of liquid courage. And she's voicing through the story. Obviously, I don't think she's voicing it to everybody in the story. But to us that she is a little bit angry at them for just this complacency. Okay, so so the narrative has her go through this night. Maybe I missed it. I don't know. You tell me if I missed this. But then, like, <laughs> at the end of the night, when it's all over, she, like, reflects back, and she recalls how the businessman, like, that they were meeting was playing footsie with her under the table. Did I miss something there? I was a little bit confused as well. I didn't know if this was alluding to an affair and that maybe is an underlying issue, but it's never really talked about anywhere else in the story. So I don't know if it's I, I don't know that that part was confusing. Well, I'll say she says she, she says what's gotten into her and she says it's sadness. Right. And she gets to thinking about how the house, oh, the house is unclean. Oh, I got to But I can't do it tomorrow. My my, my knees are going to be wobbly. And, and to me, it's it's all this this shirking of responsibility and she's presented with this opportunity almost to be irresponsible even with this man. But she has this very cavalier, like, Oh, well, like attitude, like it wasn't really what was driving her. What was driving her is not being irresponsible, but the freedom, right? The fact that she's not tied down, like you said, the monotony of things. And it's just like when she's tempted with this, this like, I don't want to call it an escape, but like this fantasy with this man, like she's, she just doesn't really seem to care. She's, she's more interested in doing what she wants more so than the fantasy of, of, of things, I guess I would say. I think that is fair to say that a lot of us get to a point where we are at our midlife crisis. And maybe this is kind of her midlife crisis of how she's going to deal with, you know, her unhappy life. You know, that sadness, like you said. So going back to sadness, because she talked about being a real man earlier, you had to be truly sad. And here at the end, she realizes and admits that she's sad, right? Like, did, if I read that correctly, what does sadness mean to this character? Misery loves company. <laughs> I immediately went back to the like the old adage that, you know, it's the ball and chain and you have to be, you know, miserable to be in a marriage or a relationship. I think that that's sometimes kind of standard for people that you have glimpses of happiness, but for the most part, you're going to be fighting and you're going to be, you know, dealing with kids that are, is you know, having issues. Uh, I think that she has that idea that real men are, are going to be sad, but they're never going to portray it. They're never going to say that they're sad. They're just internally sad because we don't like dealing with emotions as people. Do you think it's part of like that? You mentioned earlier, the mask that we wear that men are expected. We hear this all the time. And I think you and I have talked about it privately. Men have to behave a certain way, right? Like when we're in society or we're like, you've even talked about how, uh, they had certain things they needed to do in front of this businessman. Like, I, I don't understand the, the nuances of the social order within Brazilian business. But but the idea that you have to act a certain way, that you have to be a certain way. And it's like you almost have to, like, not be yourself. And does that cause sadness? Does that cause, like, a disconnect between who you want to be versus who you are? Like, it's uh, it's it's this voice that we kind of just shove down so much that... I don't think people realize how much it eats away at our, our happiness in our day-to-day -day lives. 
You have to be tough. You got to put some dirt on it and get up and keep going, right? And that that's the mentality. And I don't think that's a unique thing to our generation or a culture. I think that is just a, a, a way that things have been for thousands of years and that you do internalize that sadness and it becomes your your new norm and then you're expected to behave that way to everybody else and she's saying this that real men have to be sadness because probably her father her brothers and now her husband all appear the same way to her and maybe even her her son does that mean you truly have to, in order to survive you have to disengage with life on some level oh I mean, maybe she is because the alcohol is allowing her to daydream and have that disconnect. But I don't think that that's realistic if you want to be happy. Now, if you want to be sad, maybe that is. And maybe she is one of those people that uh, is is happy when they're only miserable, if that makes sense. <laughs> well, I was actually thinking about it in the reverse, that to disengage is when you're putting on your mask and you're doing those things for others because I don't think it's bad to do things for others, but I think it's also bad to constantly neglect yourself that the sadness, the misery is actually when you're trying to fit in and you're doing that thing, like always neglecting yourself for the purpose of others, for society, things like that, like almost the reverse of what you were thinking. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense then. I, I guess, yeah, six, one, half dozen, another. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'll say this. If somebody were playing footsie with me in front of my wife, I would be like, <laughs> like I wouldn't just not react until that night. So I don't know. Kind of a funny story, but I wouldn't say this is uh, lightning for Lispector as, as to some of her other stories have been for me. Yeah, I definitely I think I needed some day drinking in order to enjoy this one a little as much as I enjoy some of her other works. <laughs> so Daydream and Drunkenness of a Young Lady by Clarice Lispector. What did you guys think of the story out there and how did you interpret this woman's sadness? How did you take her uh, engagement with reality in a sense? My name has been Una. Thank you for spending time with us today. Peace. Peace. <laughs>